Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to the elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Please read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. If you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick up one at the information desk in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 11th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the process of recognizing new elders. Finally, we thank Scott Thompson and Roger Hill for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, please thank these gentlemen for their faithful service. On another note, a few of the buildings on our Rogers campus need some attention. The Family Center was completed in 1991. The Worship Center and Foyer were completed in 1999. That's a quarter of a century. The elders have approved moving forward with much needed improvements to those buildings. The cost is estimated to be approximately $4.5 million. We don't want to go into debt for this project and we have proven on initiatives of much larger scale that we can get this done if all our congregations work together. My wife Denise and I will be setting up monthly recurring gifts to do our part and I hope you will too. No gift is too large or too small. And remember, it's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. On the giving page of our website, you will find capital improvements. You can make a contribution there or set up recurring gifts. We already have $1.3 million in donations, so we are well on our way. God continues to do great things through Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. Thank you for playing an active role in this great ministry. God bless you, everyone. Well, good morning, Fellowship family. How are you? It's almost Thanksgiving. You excited? I know some of us are probably excited. Some of us might not be. Uh, and some of us might uh, find ourselves um, with, with actual things we're not thankful for, you know? Uh, about a year ago, I found myself in a situation with my newborn baby girl in Little Rock. We'd been, we had to be flown to the NICU. We didn't know what was going to happen with baby Mirren. I didn't know if she was going to live here on planet Earth or she was going to die and just go be with Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't thankful for that. I, I wasn't thankful for that situation or that circumstance but what I was thankful for was what Jesus meant to it um, 
everything he had uh, promised and established. Uh, not promises to, to get Mirren, to make Mirren better, uh, but promises that because of Jesus, he's, um, he's made a way, he's established a hope and a future. And so um, as we lead into Thanksgiving weekend, week, um, I want to just challenge you, um, even those things that um, you're not thankful for, because uh, truth is, there's just things in some of our lives, if not all of our lives, we're, we're not thankful for. But what we can be grateful and thankful for is what Jesus Christ means for that situation. Amen? So um, we're going to kind of take it easy this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand. You don't have to, but I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing. And uh, just with the spirit of gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts, let's, let's sing together. Father of kindness, Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. The giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Amen. We're so thankful. Lord, I can't help but sing. He is faithful. Let's sing it out. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be. Faithful you are. We know that all your promises Yes and amen. So all your promises are yes and amen. You save Sing it out, beautiful Savior. You have brought me. Beautiful Savior, you have brought me. From the ashes you have broken every curse. Blessed Redeemer, you have set his captive. Amen. Oh, I can't help but Promise 
my confidence it's found in your faithfulness it's in your faithfulness i will rest in your promises my confidence is in your faithfulness i will rest in your promises my Is your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence in your faithfulness faithful you are faithful forever you will be faithful Good morning, fellowship. Everybody can grab a seat. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Hey, this is Thanksgiving week. We're so excited. That means that we probably have some guests here from out of town visiting family, and we want to say a very special welcome to you. And um, this may be your first day to ever come to fellowship if you're a guest locally, and we would love to meet you. We would love to get you connected to our church, and so that's really easy to do. Just come out and say hello to us at the central booth. We'll get some information, follow up with you, have a phone call, grab a cup of coffee, and uh, good morning, Luke. Good morning, Sam. So glad that you're with us today. Um, I, it's traditional on the Sunday before Thanksgiving at Fellowship for us to share what we're thankful for. And I want you to know that everybody's going to participate this morning. So this is your warning. You need to start thinking right now, what am I thankful for? And come up with at least one thing. Um, and we're going to share that in just a second. But we've got a lot going on at Fellowship. I want to let you know about an opportunity to be generous in the Christmas season. We are partnering with Springdale Public Schools and their FIT program. FIT means Families in Transition. These are students, over 900 of them, that would be classified as homeless. Many of them are moving from house to house or sharing houses with other families or couch surfing or living in hotels. And, and we've taken um, this list on as a church and we're gonna provide for their needs this Christmas. Get them a jacket. Uh, get them some warm socks, maybe even get the young ones a toy. So out in the foyer, you will see a booth that has the fit sign on it. And we've got envelopes out there in the envelopes, have the kids, their needs, their sizes, the clothes. And we would like to challenge you to sponsor one of these families or for your small group to do so. And let's provide for them and show them that God loves them and that they're really important to him. And so partner with us on that. Hey, we got a lot of stuff coming up the first week of December. Why don't you let us know what's yeah, going on? Yeah, I got two things. One is in the family ministry parents uh, on December 3rd. Uh, we're gonna have a family advent service. It'll both be at the nine and at the 10.30. And so if you have a student over there in FSM, we wanna invite you over there to kind of kick off the advent season um, by worshiping as a family. Um, like I said, that'll both be at the nine and the 10.30. Um, and so the next 
uh, announcement I have is for young adults, young adults in the room. On Tuesday, December 5th, we're going to have a young adult worship night. It'll be kind of a night of encouragement uh, and worship. Um, Ty Olson is going to lead us in some worship, and so it's going to be a good time. It'll be uh, out there in the courtyard in between all the buildings. So bring a coat, bring a blanket. Um, we'll have heaters. We'll make sure it's warm. And we'll also have a coffee cart with some free uh, Onyx coffee. I know you like Onyx coffee. Yes. Will you and your community group be there? Well, I don't know exactly what young adult means. I, I don't either. I don't either. I'm um, not going to lie. I don't think I'm a young adult, um, but I, is Heath a young adult? I, I don't know. Pass. I, here's probably a general rule. If you're asking if you're a young adult, yes. you are not yes. Yes. a young adult. And so don't roll out, out for that. All right. So today's our Thanksgiving share service. We're gonna take communion later, so prepare your heart for that. It'll be double cupped. Hold those elements to the end of the service. We'll take them together. But here's how we wanna start off. I want you to turn to your neighbor. Oh, I know, I know. I want you to turn, like you would have died to do this during COVID. We couldn't do it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to share something that you're thankful for right now. Let's do that. I got you. I got you. What are you thankful for? Thank you. There's oftentimes when I do not like shutting down good old-fashioned fellowship. But uh, well, I've got a schedule to keep, so it's, it's awesome to hear the, the chatter, though. It sounds like there's a lot of things that we have to be thankful for. So let's stand, if you would, and continue uh, singing of God's faithfulness. I'm, I'm so thankful that, that, that in a world that changes day to day, that there is no shadow of changing or turning with our God. Amen. He doesn't change his mind. He keeps his promises. He doesn't leave, doesn't forsake. He's a good God. Amen. So let's sing this together. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy i 
without pardon for sin. Hi, I'm Jack Barclay. And I'm Juliana. We've been married a little over four months now. I grew up in fellowship 
been going since I was a kid. Went through FSM, uh, went to college at the University of Arkansas and went to Fellowship Fayetteville uh, there and did their college ministry and just graduated May 2023, got married, and now we're here at, at Fellowship Rogers. Yeah, and I am actually from Texas, so moved here for college, and then throughout my college years, I went to Fellowship Fayetteville, and then post-grad, um, we kind of transitioned to the Rogers campus. Um, I'm doing a residency program this year. That's been really cool, just making that transition and um, getting to do it together has been awesome. Uh, one thing that we've talked about that we're both thankful for, and I'm probably even more thankful than she is, just the position that she's in with the residency. Um, it's been really cool to see her in a different, see Juliana, my wife, in a different light than I have in the past. Um, I haven't seen her as the awesome leader and the awesome um, connector that she has been in this role. So it's been really cool to watch her just create something, create a ministry. And so watching her leadership in that has been really cool. And, and I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity without the residency. So I'm, I'm so thankful for that. It's impacted our marriage a lot. I think it has also been really cool to see God's faithfulness to us in this season because in college um, and just before we got married, we really prayed for community and friendships and accountability as my role in ministry and then his role in the workplace we've gotten to see those two things come together and just be able to use that in such a cool way because you know he's invited his co-workers and i get to be a part of that and meeting them and then at the same time he's getting to disciple people and getting to meet these people that i'm doing ministry with and so both of those things have been really cool to do together in something that has a huge answer for. Fellowship has helped my ministry a lot. I'm super thankful for just the way the church has played a role in, in our ministry together, things we get to do together, but also our individual ministry. Watching her meet up with the young women has been really cool. I'm getting to lead a cell group too of, of high school guys that are now in 10th grade. And it's just been really impactful for me knowing that I just went through that, you know, and, and now I'm getting to lead these guys through it. Fellowship being just a huge factor in uh, giving us a ministry has been really huge. How can we together uh, live a missional marriage? And so the church has played a huge role in that, and for that we're super thankful. His love for 
arms of God. So high upon his shoulders, safely brought this far. Help the love, my helpless soul, the King.
Oh, Lord, as we head into this Thanksgiving week, we pause today to give thanks. We're grateful for what you've done and are doing and will do in our lives. Father, I pray that this week we would count our blessings. Lord, that we would submit our fears to you. And Lord, we would celebrate who you are, what you're doing in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have a big treat this morning. Um, Dr. Mark Bailey from Dallas Theological Seminary is here with us today. Mark was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary for 19 years. In fact, he was one of my professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. He is now the chancellor of DTS and is the senior professor of Bible exposition there. And he sits on boards like Bible Study Fellowship and Walk Through the Bible. He preaches around the the nation and at churches. But most importantly, Mark Bailey's a friend of fellowship. He's a dear brother in Christ. Many of you have traveled with him to Israel or to Greece or other places to hear him teach about the Bible lands. And it is our privilege to have Dr. Mark Bailey join us in our Philippians series today. So would you please welcome Dr. Bailey. Well, good morning. I'm grateful for the accommodation. I blew out an ankle and a foot uh, in the middle of an airport, traveling by myself at 9 o'clock at night, going to the rental car. And uh, just took a step, didn't trip, didn't fall, didn't twist it, didn't break it. I thought I had a fracture, but uh, uh, they said a subcondyle cyst in the middle of the ankle exploded. If you're an orthopod, explain that to me. Because uh, I don't know, but uh, couldn't put any weight on it for two weeks. I was wheelchair bound. Uh, uh, I was uh, on a walker for a couple of weeks. Now I'm on a cane uh, getting over that. So uh, uh, wearing a boot just today, just to, for travel purposes. But uh, it's so great to be back at Fellowship. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite places. And I can tell you without lying that this is probably one of the healthiest churches that I've ever known. Uh, mine is the second one in uh, Fort Worth. Uh, seriously, and the, those have a great connection because we've traveled together to Israel. There's been golf tournaments back and forth between the churches, and uh, it's just a, an incredible privilege uh, to be back at Fellowship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians. You are in a series on Philippians, and I was assigned a passage. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, open them, swipe, punch, scroll whatever device you have, and uh, we want to begin. How many of you remember, some of you are not old enough to remember this, but a a song that uh, uh, became very popular back in the late 80s called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, It actually won uh, Grammy Awards in 1988 for Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Best Male Pop Vocal Performance of the Year, and... uh, In fact, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy sold uh, Buku records, Buku albums in the song. Won millions, uh, I mean, won awards and sold millions. But it must have struck a chord. 
uh, because uh, it became that popular. Don't worry, be happy. Some 20 times in that song, he says that. You can uh, look at it, it's sort of a little reggae, Jamaica kind of a beat to it if you haven't uh, heard it. It's sort of fun to go back and reminisce with that. But some have called worry uh, the major sin of the middle class. Specialists far more qualified than I uh, have said that there's three main causes for worry. One is uh, the, the threat of uh, impending danger. One is the fear of losing control. And the third is uh, caring too much. Uh, about ourselves, and at times even about somebody else. But I have some good news. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in the passage that uh, we're going to look at today in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, wants to uh, eliminate the reason why uh, uh, you can't have peace. In fact, if I could state it at a, at a, at a macro level, uh, uh, Paul's going to tell us that the peace of God is available to those who are passionate enough to actively pursue him. Let me state that again. That the peace of God is available. God has promised it to us. To those who are passionately, passionate enough to actively pursue him. He's going to eliminate the cause for worry. Last week, Sam finished up at uh, verses uh, six, or verse four and five, and I want to sort of use that as a hinge because he, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, which connects you to the passage of Yodis and Syndicate, who are having a little bit of a spat up in the uh, upper part of the chapter. And then he says this, the Lord is near. There's a theme that you've been hearing through the message series in Philippians uh, with those who have spoken to you over these last number of months. And one of those themes that uh, ties the book of Philippians together is the concept of joy or rejoicing. Now you need to understand, as our friend uh, uh, tells us, Kent Hughes in his commentary, he says, and I quote, remember that Paul wasn't writing while he lounged in a Roman bath or I love this, or sipped espresso at Cafe Roma. We must never forget that Paul delivered this defiant command to rejoice, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever the circumstances, when it was unsure whether he would live or die, and while he was confined to helplessly watching his competitors and enemies make advances toward the churches of both Rome and Philippi. Paul is audacious enough to say, you can have joy in jail, waiting your own execution, not knowing what's going to happen. And one of the reasons he says that, and the link between rejoice and don't be anxious, don't worry, is he says the Lord is near. Now he's talking about the imminent return of the Lord. And so when he says the Lord is near, you say, well, that's nice. That was 2,000 years ago, and he hasn't showed up yet. Well, the concept of the nearness of the Lord in the New Testament is that the Lord could come back at any time, and when he does come back, he'll come back when it's pretty unexpected. And so the logic is you better get ready. If uh, the Lord comes back before you and I die, it'll be pretty quick. 
Uh, if uh, we die and the Lord hasn't come back yet, we instantly go to be with the Lord. And so whether we live or die, the Lord's coming into our lives and our coming into his presence is in fact near. That's a perspective that is to dominate our thinking throughout the whole New Testament. The Lord is not slow concerning his, 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 his uh, uh, you know, coming, and he's not, he's not slow as some people count slowness. He's long-suffering. The reason he's delayed his coming is so that all would come to repentance, as 2 Peter tells us. And so the very fact he hasn't come back yet is a demonstration of his grace. But if you and I die and go meet with the Lord, or the Lord comes back before we die, there's a nearness in a nanosecond in which that's all going to happen. And that ought to be a framework that helps us keep joy, and it also is the pivot toward what he's going to tell us in this passage. I want to develop this passage in three ways. Number one, I want to talk about prayer is foundational to peace, and therefore you and I need to depend on him. The command is in verse 6 when he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. There's two commands there. Basically, don't worry about anything and pray about everything. Now, if you are like me, I'm now worried that I'm not supposed to worry. <laughs> that, that term for worry is found in a, both a negative context like this that we're told not to, but it's in a positive context earlier in the book in Philippians 2.20 when he talks about having a genuine concern. You know, a lot of people say, I'm not worried, I'm just concerned. Well, when it's towards me and I'm feeling it, that's called worry. When I'm concerned about what's going on in your life, it's the same word, in Greek, it's the same word that means concern. So when I have you in mind, it's genuine concern. When I have me in mind... That's called worry, and he says, don't do it. Don't do it. You remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about your life. Uh, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you'll wear. Don't worry about your food and clothing. Uh, and don't worry about tomorrow. And I, I love Jesus. He's a realist. Right after he says, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. He says, and don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow's going to be bad. That's what he said. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. So, so why, why borrow tomorrow's concerns and put them into the worries of today? Jesus says, just don't do that. You got enough to deal with today. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. In fact, in that passage, Jesus says, uh, you, you know, the, the, the birds, uh, they, they, they don't go to work, they don't clock in, but God feeds them. Uh, the sparrows, he takes care of the sparrows. And I love the poem that uh, Elizabeth Cheney uh, wrote years ago. Uh, the robin and the sparrow, it says, said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these ancient, anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. You know, Jesus basically says, I've got it covered. God's taken care of it. And so when you and I worry, we're basically saying, God, I don't think you've got it. I don't think you've got it covered. And so he says, don't worry. 
don't worry about anything. And he's being very specific when he says that. Don't worry about any one thing. It's an interesting construction in the original, in the, in the original language. You, know, you can pick it apart. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about any one thing. But pray about everything. And as he begins to develop that second command, he says in every situation, and it's interesting there, it's not just in the general, it's like in everything, and we sort of pray about everything this way. He's actually being very specific when he says pray about every one thing. He's being very technical about whatever it is that's really got you concerned. Pray about that. This isn't just general, you know, send, send up a, you know, uh, airmail to God, God help me. But specifically, because when we verbalize to God the uh, issues, God has a way of starting to sort that out. Is this really your issue? Is this my issue? Is this a real big worry? Is this just a, cons- you know, what, what are we dealing with here? And so it helps us uh, take stock. He says, in every situation, and then he gives three words, and they're not all the same, Prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Prayer is that general request to uh, a deity. It's, it's praying to somebody in adoration and in worship. It's a very general term, just simply go to God in prayer. And the second one is, and petition, this is the urgent ask. What's my big issue? In the psalmist, you can watch him develop it. He'll address God as, the, as, as, as Lord God, you know, uh, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, etc. And then he gets to the petition aspect where he gets pretty specific. But then he says this, when you go to God in adoration and worship and when you've asked him what you've asked him for, then do that with thanksgiving because he's asking us to have an attitude for whatever the way the Lord chooses to answer, whether it's yes, no, or maybe, is gonna be the right answer and therefore ought to cause me or you to be thankful. That word thanksgiving is a big one this week, obviously. It comes from two words, one meaning God's grace and the other is good. It's eucharisteo, we get eucharist in formal liturgy from that term, but eucharisteo is that being, being thankful for the good grace of God. Knowing that God will hear and knowing that he will answer promising to be thankful regardless of the answer because I'm trusting God to be God. Colossians chapter three puts it this way. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Now watch this. Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude, there's a second time, in your hearts, and then whatever you do in word or do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three times, one in each of those three verses, he's reminding the church at Colossae and hence reminding us through Scripture to be thankful. Uh, I read an article that I found fascinating. It's called Everything is Amazing and Nobody's Happy. And it's an article by Morgan Housel. And uh, I, I want to just give you some samples. He has 50 reasons why you and I should be happy 
because everything is amazing and nobody seems to be happy in our culture. Uh, give me a couple for just for fun. U.S. life expectancy at birth in the 1800s was 39 years of age. In 1990, it was 68 years of age, and now it's over 80. We're living twice as long as our ancestors lived. Now, when you get my age, you may say, that's not as big of a blessing as I thought it might be. <laughs> it also tells you why Social Security is hurting, because uh, the life expectancy on that model was uh, in the 60s, and now we're in the 80s. But uh, we have it so much better than even 100 years ago. 2%, only 2% of homes in 1900 had electricity. And J.P. Morgan, the man, was one of the first to install electricity, you'll love this, in his house, and it required a private power plant on his property just to have electricity for him. And by, even by 1950, only 30% of American homes didn't have electricity. 70% did, 30% didn't. I... Uh, Grew up in a little town in Colorado, and I had friends in our church who did not have running water. They had a spring, a hose came out of a pipe, a hose in the wall by the kitchen, you know, uh, you know, sink. That was their running water. They still had outhouses, and uh, they did have electricity, which was nice. In 1990, hardly any homes had refrigerators. According to Frederick Lewis's Fallon's the, the Big Change, let alone a car, now you have cars with refrigerators in them. What a deal. And you'll love this one. According to AT&T archives in the Dallas Fed, a three-minute phone call from New York to San Francisco in 1915 cost $341 to make that call. In 1960... That was in 1915. In 1960, it was $12.60 today. You can have text data totally for about $5 a month if you shop it well. Such a deal. One more. Only 4% of human beings get to live in America. Odds are, <laughs> pretty good odds, you're one of them. We've got it made friend of mine who just went, recently went to be with the Lord, he was the chairman of the board of Moody Bible Institute for a number of years and the founding chairman of Walk Through the Bible Ministries. And uh, Paul Johnson was his name. And Paul introduced me to what he called the, the, the triangle of gratitude. And uh, we were sitting one day and he said, uh, and I was talking about becoming the president of Dallas Seminary and I didn't want to be it. And we were sitting at a, a, a conference up in uh, Muskegon, Michigan, and he, and he pulls out this paper that he's used a lot and he, and he, and he drew a, a, a diagram, just a, a triangle diagram. And at, starting at the bottom, he drew a line and he said, uh, you know, did, were you born in a Christian home? And I said, yeah. He said, well, boy, you have a huge advantage. And he drew a line. Then he started asking me a series of questions. And uh, for you who are parents, this is a great one, because I'll tell you, I did it with my kids at Thanksgiving a couple years ago. And I drew lines, and I went like this. If you were born in the United States, draw a line. If you were able to go to school as far as you wanted to, draw a line. If you never had to go without food for a whole day, draw a line. 
If you've got close friends who had come, if you called, would you draw a line? If you were told the plan of salvation and introduced to Jesus Christ, draw a line. I'd add this for today. If you get to worship at Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas, draw a line. And you keep moving up to the top. And then I blew my kids away. Went on the wealth index, world wealth index. This is great for all of us. If you, as a family, make $60,000, If your annual income is $60,000, you are in the top 1% of the world. If you make $100,000, you're in the top 0.2% of the world. Now complain. Go ahead and tell God you're not happy. Do we have concerns? We have concerns. Do we have concerns for other people? We do have concerns for other people. But as we walk into Thanksgiving week, he says, I want you to pray. I want you to worship. I want you to pray. I want you to ask me what you need to ask me, but I want you to do it with the promise of Thanksgiving. And in case you don't think there's anything to be thankful for, there's just a few samples. With the command comes the promise, and the peace of God which transcends understanding. That's a great word. If I could paraphrase it, whatever you think, it's more wonderful than you're thinking. The peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's in prison. He's got Roman guards around him, as he talks about in chapter 1. It's real fun in chapter 1, he says, because he gets to share the gospel, and the gospel gets to go right into the praetorian guard. It's a wonderful passage. But he's chained with Roman guards around him. But the term that's used here, will guard your hearts and minds, is a term that means to set a garrison about. It's a word, it's a military term used of a detachment of soldiers who would stand guard over a city to protect it from attack. And since the city of Philippi was guarded by a Roman garrison at the time, The metaphor would have been easily understood. Paul writing from a prison in Rome to a Philippian uh, town that was a a Roman colony where a Roman garrison would be. So I want you to think about this. That when you align yourself with God and when you passionately pursue him, his peace is available. Why? Because Christ is walking on the ramparts of our hearts and minds protecting us from everything that would rob us of peace. The peace of God will put a garrison around your hearts and minds. Warren Wearsby said the peace of God stands guard over the two areas that create worry. Number one is our heart. We, we have wrong feelings and over our minds because we have wrong thinking. Isn't that great? God's God's walking around. He's got guards posted around our minds and around around our heart, if we'll let him. The peace of God. The peace of God is available to those who are passionate enough to actively pursue him. If prayer is foundational peace to peace and we need to have a passion to depend on him, then number two, integrity is essential for transformation and we need to think like him. 
The grammatical structure of this passage is really fascinating. There's uh, six relative pronouns with plural adjectives. I know that's going to thrill you. There's two conditional clauses and one command. You ready for them? He says it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Now let me take these very quickly, one at a time. If anything is true, and as I thought about how to present this, I thought, how, do, how about doing a contrast? And that is this, that if we're to think, and he, he's using plural you know, adjectives here with this introductory pronoun, whatever things are true, what are the true things, then he's contrasting that with things that are either apparent or presumption that are not true. What's, what is true? And here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this. I actually put it on my phone just for my own reminder because I need it more than anybody. If you could put an overlay on the screens of your life, on your phone, on your iPad, on your Kindle, on your TV, on the movie screen, and if for some reason these things just could rotate and they became a filter through which you were looking, are you looking and paying attention? And he's going to say, think about the things that are true. Is this true? Now, that doesn't mean we can't read something that's, you know, you know fiction. What he's saying is, uh, are you concentrating on what's true as opposed to what's uh, not true? Is it real news or is it fake news? And how do you tell these days? Number two, whatever is noble means dignified as opposed to being degraded. Is it, is it honorable or is it deplorable? Is it dignified or is it uh, indecent? These are things you're to think about. You're to think about things that are noble. Number three, things that are right. In other words, there's some things that are right and some things that are wrong and a friend of mine, Erwin uh, Lutzer, gave me the idea the other day when we were together. In Isaiah, it says that, uh, woe be to that nation, woe be to the people who call wrong right and right wrong. He said for a number of years, our culture has been calling what's wrong right. Now we're entering into a phase in the last few years where what is right is becoming called wrong. Telling Sam and Amy last night as we had dinner together that I, I just got noticed that Bethlehem in Israel, Bethlehem has pulled all of their Christmas decorations down so that they could have an uh, identity with their Palestinian friends in Gaza. Now, I want you to think about that one for a minute. The problem in Gaza is between Israel and the Palestinians with, backed by Hamas. <coughs> Has nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, both of them are not very friendly towards Christianity, but let's take Christian stuff down because we have a problem with Israel. Now that's a go figure when you think about it. It's not thinking about what's right. And let hear what's right according to the standards of God rather than relative to the excuses of our culture. 
whatever things are pure. This, kind, this is a concept of cleanliness. What, what, what's, what is sacred as opposed to profane? What, what is clean as opposed to corrupt? And can I stop there for a minute? Are you, are you listening to the music of life or are you listening to the music of death? Are you watching on your TikTok, Facebook, you name it, even YouTube, whatever your peak, peak of choice is, whatever your book of choice, whatever your movie of choice, whatever your television program of choice? Is it the music of life or is it the music of death? Is it the stories of life or is it the stories of death? Is it decent or is it indecent? And he's going to tell us, you need to be thinking about these things if you want peace. It's no wonder, as he said, we have so much and nobody's happy. Mental health has never been as big of an issue as it is today. And we have so much more than our parents and our grandparents had. There ought not to be a reason. Now, there's chemical issues and there's physical, physiological issues, I understand that. But from the spiritual level, there is no reason you and I can't have peace and can't have joy and can't have hope. And if we don't have it, it's because we're not thinking well. And then he says this, whatever is lovely, it's a word not found anywhere else, is this promoting, is this a pro-love concept in the right definition of love? Or is it selfishness? Am I promoting love toward another or am I asking for love from another? And then he gives us two and he, and he changes here and he goes, you know, we've had the whatever, the whatever, the whatever. And then he says, now, if there's any this, if there's any this, and he takes two conditional state statements, if there's anything that's admirable, reputable, there, and then if, if there's anything that's excellent, okay, admirable is reputable rather than questionable, excellent is godly character rather than celebrity fame, if there's anything that's worthy of praise, these last two are those conditional ones, is it God-glorifying or is it all about human Recognition becomes the question. And then we line them all up. Now, the next slide, I want you to see this because he uses a term here when essence is add them up. He uses a term that says, count this up, count it, and think about it. Calculate it is the word. Ponder, consider. It's like you, you take all of these and you draw a line and say, now let's see what this works like. What, is this, what does this add up to be? And he's just given us a mental and heart filter to think differently and to count life differently than we've been living it. Someone put it this way, you are what you think more than you think you are. It's true. Paul says we need to bring all of every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, prayer is foundational to peace. We need to depend on him. Receptivity is essential for transformation, and that will come when we think like him. The renewing of the mind, as Paul says in Romans 12. Here's the things you ought to be thinking about and counting on. And then <clears throat> he finishes in verse 9 with the truth that receptivity is a catalyst for reproduction. 
Receptivity is a catalyst for reproduction. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard in me or from me and seen in me, put into practice. And watch this, the God of peace will be with you. We've had the peace of God that passes understanding. Now we have the God of peace. And that was open and closed this passage. This is a passion to live like him. Notice those words, learned, received. That, that speaks of instruction. That, that's content. That's things that are being taught. And we learn by somebody teaching us. Paul says, things you've learned and received from me. Then he adds, heard and seen in me. Now, this is the subtlety. This is what you learn by example. Sam and I were talking last night at dinner about pe people who have marked our lives in ministry. And what is it that we saw and what is it that we heard and things that were taught us in the classroom or taught us on one-to-one, -one, but there's other things we just watched. These are the things that are learned by example. This is not content, but it's character. This isn't what's taught. This is what's caught. And that receptivity is what results then in reproduction. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Paul teaching the Philippians. And now he's saying, I want you to live like that. I want you to put that into practice. And when you do, the God of peace will be with you. You see, I come back to my basic thesis, and that is that the peace of God is available to anyone who would be passionate enough to pursue him. Prayer is foundational to peace. We need to depend on him. Integrity is essential for transformation. We need to think like him. Receptivity is the catalyst for reproduction. We need to live like him. Here's a challenge for your Thanksgiving table. Can you look across the table to your kids or your grandkids and said, I want you to watch my life. And I want you, as Paul said earlier in this book, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. Watch how I respond to Christ and do that. Paul's telling us it again. What you've heard and seen, what you received and learned. Do that. Do that. The passage opens with the peace of God. It finishes with the God of peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you the, what the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. And then in the upper room, he said it this way again. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. With the peace of God to guard us and the God of peace to guide us, Warren Wearsby again says, why worry? Why worry? It brought my mind back to a song. It's an old song by Vivian Kretz. 
It's rooted in Isaiah chapter 26. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is a rock eternal. Listen to the, 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 the verses very quickly and we close. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When the shadows come and darkness fall, he giveth perfect peace. Chorus, oh, he is the only perfect resting place. He giveth perfect peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. In the shadows of the mighty rock, I lay me down to sleep. He who watches over Israel so faithfully will be. Tis the promise of the Holy One, my peace I give to thee. Through the storms of life in fury rage, my refuge sure is he. Oh, he is the only perfect resting place. He giveth perfect peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Peace is available if you'll passionately pursue him for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the instruction. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your provision. May we find our peace in you and in your son whom you've provided for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Mark. We're going to enter into a time of communion, and as our communion team begins to go ahead and pass the elements, just remember it's double cupped. So in the bottom cup, there's bread, and in the top cup, there is juice. So we're going to turn our minds to Jesus and give thanks. There's a scripture that says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Upon a hill, a perfect Savior, upon that day, the greatest love, the punishment that should have fallen on us upon him upon him upon his head a crown of thorns upon his heart a broken world the wage of sin the weight of our transgressions was upon him on him we give thanks and we sing that Christ has died we are forgiven in Christ alive we are the reason and he shall come again praise the King praise the King 
upon our hearts His name is written The King of kings The Lord of lords We're pouring out A song of praise together Upon Him Upon Him Christ has died we are forgiven in Christ alive. We are the risen and He shall come again. Praise the King. Praise the King. Christ has died. We are forgiven in Christ. Ultimate peace is found at the cross where we, the enemies of God, have been made the friends of the Savior. We should never forget that. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, remember.
then he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant which was written in his blood. The sacrifice that gave us peace with God. Take, drink, remember. Well, Father God, today we pronounce our gratefulness to you for pursuing us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us peace as we pursue you. Oh, Lord, we love you. Thanks for today. Thanks for this week where we pause to remember and be grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, fellowship, would you give a big hand to Dr. Bailey for serving us today? If you need prayer, we've got the Sloans in the prayer room. We pray for anything you need. Y'all have a good week.